0: Hey good morning folks great to be with you guys today and uh, just to share on this one. I don't know how I got this one. I think Pastor Don and, and Haley they tossed a coin to see which one of them were going to do it and somehow it landed with my name on it. I'm not sure how that happened but anyway great to be with you guys. Some of us were here yesterday. we had a, a service for Nairi Booth and uh, a very special lady and uh, continue to pray for the booth family and uh, Pastor Daryl. Uh, and Denise, they uh, look after our Pukekohe campus and uh, that terrible tragedy that happened just uh, out of uh, Picton uh, where all those lives were lost in that terrible car accident and a number of those uh, were members of the congregation and uh, lose their mum and then lose some uh, very special people in their congregation all in the same week. It's just been a really tough week and I really encourage you just hold them up in your prayers and give them your support at this time. Well, these Ten Commandments were given uh, to the children of Israel. They had been slaves for over 400 years. They had no idea how to run a society. They'd been slaves. They'd just been told what to do and what not to do. And then all of a sudden now they were a nation. Uh, and how do you run a nation? They had no idea at all. So uh, God gives to them Ten Commandments. There were a number of other commandments that followed, but these were the big that God gave them uh, to be the basis of a society. You just kind of imagine if you were driving your car and uh, you were not familiar with, uh, you were trying to get on the motorway and you are not familiar uh, with the way onto the motorway and uh, you weren't sure which uh, uh, on or off ramp and, and you're just wondering what to do and you see these big signs, wrong way. You know, turn back and uh, this is a do not enter you would not resent the person that wrote those and put them up there you would say thank you very much you would not you would not be angry with them because you would know that if you went down that that road that, down that uh, on ramp uh, you would find that uh, you would be in trouble yeah. and not only would you be in trouble but also those that would be close to you would be in trouble as well. Any car that got close to you, any person that was in your car, that uh, they would also be in trouble as well. They were, they could get seriously hurt, and so you would appreciate the fact that somebody took the effort, made the effort to put some signs up. They are not suggestions; they are commands. Do not enter. They're not suggestions, you know. And you would you would be really appreciate the fact that they did that. And uh, So that you did not cause some serious accident, maybe injure yourself seriously or injure hurt those that are with you seriously as well. So God gives to us 10 commandments and that's what we've been looking at. But you find that whenever God gives something like it's a negative, a command, there is always a positive element that is to that. And he always has a reason and it's not to cause you pain. It's not to restrict your freedom. It is for your, uh, your, for your protection. It is for, for your good. Uh, and God says that if you play by the rules, then you find that you will win. If you decide that the rules are not for you, don't complain if things don't turn out uh, right for you. See, some of the religious leaders, they came to Jesus, they said, what is the greatest commandment of all? And Jesus replied in Matthew 22, verse 37, he said this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And understand, all of them, all of the rest of the commands, they can all be summed up in this one here. The big one here is to love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. And then if we love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, we will love our neighbor uh, like ourselves. And so if we love our neighbor like ourselves, we won't want to do anything to harm them. We won't want to steal from them. We won't want to lie to them. We won't want to commit adultery to their spouse. We won't want to murder them. And so the religious leaders, they were asking Jesus this question. They were trying to trick him up. They were trying to, they actually wanted to have an excuse so that they could kill him. And so uh, they're asking him, but Jesus was a lot smarter than what they were. See, Jesus is saying, if you really love God, You would love me, and you wouldn't be wanting to kill me. He was a lot smarter than them. Hey, he's a lot smarter than you as well. (laughs) And you need to really pay attention to what is down here in these commands. They are there for a reason. God is a lot smarter than you. So we're looking at the seventh commandment, working our way backwards. In Exodus 20, verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. Adultery is the sin of a married man having sexual relations with anyone other than his wife, or a married woman having sexual relations with anyone other than her husband. It is one of the most frequently and severely commenced sins in the Bible. Adultery is mentioned 52 times, not just in the Ten Commandments here, not just in the four Gospels, but also in four other books of the Bible as well. And only the sin of idolatry, self-righteousness, and murder are mentioned more often than what the sin of adultery is. God is saying, this is my protection plan for you. This is a sign on the motorway leading to life. If you want to be successful in life, if you want to be successful in your marriage, do not commit adultery. That is what he's saying here. Do not commit adultery. Now, before we get into this command today, I just want to say one thing. Maybe today, even just the mention of this word may cause some real pain in the lives of some that are here today. You have some bad memories, some shame maybe, and... The purpose of the message today is not to resurrect your past. You know, if you have your confessed your sin to God, you have been forgiven. <laughs> if your husband or your wife has confessed their sin and repented before God, they have been forgiven. You need to just uh, accept that forgiveness and, and, and to get on with life. If you are still feeling condemned, if you're still feeling bad, that guilt, that condemnation, that shame that you are feeling does not come from God. It comes from Satan. Yeah. And so you need to recognize, you know, so often you find that there are Christian people that never rise. They never get up into the calling that God's got for their life. They live their lives feeling, oh, I shouldn't have done that. God, please forgive me from that. And, and you're still going over and you're rehearsing and rehearsing and rehearsing something that you did, something that happened in your life that you regret many years ago. And you're praying and, and, and asking God to forgive something. And God's, what are you talking about? You know, the Bible says that when we ask for forgiveness from God, the Bible, God forgives us our sin as far as the east is from the west. God will remember our sin no more. And so we are asking God to forgive us for something over and over again that he doesn't even remember. And so you need to get up and and to move on uh, with life. Today, we're just going to focus on the future. God's no cool joy. Uh, He invented sex. Uh, he is for sex. He is not against sex. Uh, he made our sex organs. He gave us hormones. Uh, so, uh, But just because we're saying that God is pro-sex doesn't mean uh, that we're saying that he is in favor of all sexual activity. Like all things in life, uh, it must be controlled. God does not want us to abuse it. See, all of God's gifts have limitations on it. And God has given to us the gift of water. We can't live without water, but too much water and we can drown. Uh, God has given us the gift of fire, you know, to keep us warm, but it can also burn us. Uh, you, can, you can do good things like you can overexercise. Uh, you can overeat. You can all sorts of, any good thing, you, you can over. You can take it to extreme. It's how you handle it that is uh, the key. And God has said, I've given you a drive called sex. And so, properly controlled and expressed within marriage, it is something that is beautiful. It is something that is fantastic. But outside of marriage, it is destructive. destructive is it's detrimental to your health as a human being, emotionally and spiritually, in every way in your life. And so, God wants us to use sex as a tool for building our marriage, not for destroying it. See, in today's world, it's just full. There are permissive values in uh, in the world today that basically says that anything can go. We find the whole entertainment uh, movie industry is just obsessed with sex. And so everything is just pushed on us over and over. And it's used to sell everything from cars to bananas or whatever. You know, it's used to sell. (laughs) We find today that there's far more uh, women that are in the workplace uh, there, There is uh, birth control, there's constant bombardment from the uh, media and uh, you don't stand much chance of remaining pure in life unless you set some standards in your life that are going to be there that you're going to live by. You need to uh, put some things in place that uh, you're going to remain pure uh, in life. What do you do to protect your marriage and yourself? Let me give you uh, some uh, points this morning that you can make. One is commit yourself to God's standards. Commit yourself to God's standards, regardless of your past, regardless of your failures. Right. Say, I'm going to make a commitment to God's standards. That means you're going to agree with what God says about sex. God's standards have never, never changed. The Bible says that sex is for marriage only, not before marriage, not outside of marriage. Psalm 119 verse 9, it says, How can a young man stay on the path of purity? By living according to culture? No. It says, by living according to your word. See, God's standards are very clear in His word. Adultery is never an option, it is not okay in any circumstance at all. There is no justification for it, no matter what your background is. You can make all sorts of excuses, there is no justification for it. Remember Joseph in the Old Testament? Uh, Joseph, he was an interesting character, and he got sold into slavery, and then his master's wife uh, wanted him to come to bed with her, and, and he had every reason in the world to fall for the temptation that was before him. He could have said, well, I'm young, I'm single, I'm in a foreign country, this practice is acceptable in a foreign country, uh, she wants it, my desires want it. I've been abused. My mother died when I was young. My father was overindulgent with me. My brothers hated me and sold me into slavery. You can think there's a whole list of things he could have used. He had a terrible family life. He was deprived of love in his life. And he said, no, I will not sin against my God. He said, I will not sin against my God. He set a standard in his life. He had some values in his life that he would not violate. And the Bible says that when he was tempted, he turned and ran. Maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe there is somebody here today in the situation that you find yourself that you need to turn and to run. You need to get out of that situation. You're in an unhealthy environment. You need to run from it. It will mess up your life. It will mess up those that are close to you as well. Jesus said to the woman caught in adultery, Neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Believe. Don't keep living like you were. He says, I don't condemn you, but get out of that situation. Yeah. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 15, it says, Be faithful to your own wife and give your love to her alone. See, the first step, if you want to protect your marriage, you need to make a commitment by God's grace. I've decided that regardless of what happens, regardless of what decisions are made, regardless of what choices are made, regardless of what happens in, uh, in the marriage whatever, I will never be unfaithful to you. I've made a decision. I will never be unfaithful to you in my marriage. That's the starting point. Number two, think about the consequences. Think about the consequences. Remind yourself of the devastation and the, and the destruction that is caused by sexual sin. Proverbs chapter six and verse 32, it says, the one who commits adultery is an utter fool for he destroys his own soul. He's an utter fool. He destroys his own uh, soul, the Bible says. See, nothing damages the emotions like sexual sin, nothing. And so there are other sins, but maybe they don't damage quite as much, but you find that a sexual sin, it leaves permanent scars. There's a shame that just doesn't seem to, to, to go away, the sense of loss to everyone involved, it just is enormous. And so many people say, if I could just turn the clock back, if I could just start over again, if I could just erase that from my life. And so rather than being a door of freedom, it ends up becoming a door of slavery. The Bible says the one who commits adultery is an utter fool. He destroys his own life. Proverbs chapter six verse twenty six. It says, "Adultery will cost a man all that he has. It cost you all that you have. Remember Esau? He came in and he was hungry, and, and he sold his birthright right for a bowl of porridge. You know the inheritance that he had as being the firstborn. He sold it for a bowl of porridge. There are people that sell their soul, that sell their marriage, that sell." Uh, their their relationships that sell their success in in life for almost like just a bowl of porridge, just for like a one-night stand. They destroy their life. Marilyn and I, we've been married for 54 years. And uh, by God's grace, she's the only woman that I've ever known. And by God's grace, I intend to be uh, faithful to her as long as I live. Let me give you three good reasons. One is I love Jesus Christ. I owe him my life. He died for me. He's my ticket to heaven. And uh, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Number two, I love my my wife and my kids. The thought of hurting them and what it would do to them. It is a thought that is indescribable. I, I would hate to have to face that situation. I'd hate to have to go through that. It would be like unbearable to have to think about going through uh, that situation uh, of what would happen if I was uh, unfaithful. I, I'd never want to be in that position. The, the third one is I fear the judgment of God. You know, I think it's good to have a healthy fear of God. And so I fear the judgment of God. And and the Bible says that uh, you don't do this and get away with it, that you will reap what you sow. Uh, there comes a place of fear of, of, uh, standing before a righteous God and having to explain what I did. I don't want to stand before God and have to explain uh, why I did what I did. A fourth reason I could probably add is that apart from Marilyn, nobody else would put up with me. But... uh, (laughs) (laughs) So I haven't been in that place of temptation. (laughs) But adultery is utterly selfishness. It's not love, it's selfishness. What it's saying is, uh, I'm going to put my own needs and what I think is right, my pleasures ahead of every, anything else, everyone else, uh, ahead of what God says uh, is right, ahead of what my uh, husband uh, or wife, ahead of what my family, what might do to my family. It's basically saying, forget everybody else. I deserve to be happy. You know, I'm going to do what I want to do. That is selfishness. That is not love. A third reason is to care a third thing here is to care for your marriage. Uh, it will reduce support and attraction of adultery. First Corinthians chapter seven and verse three, it says the husband should fulfil his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. There's a, a guy called Dr. William uh, Harley, and he's a counselor in America, and he wrote a book, His Needs and Her Needs, and he identified uh, through thousands of couples what he thinks are the top five needs of men and the top five married men and top five needs of women now see if you can see any similarity between these top five needs top five needs of most men are sexual fulfillment recreational companionship an attractive spouse domestic support admiration okay top five needs of most women are affection conversation Honesty and openness, financial support, and family commitment. Can you see any similarity between these two? No, there's none. <laughs> there is no similarity between the two. Men come into a marriage thinking that they're marrying somebody just like them. And they're trying to please their spouse by trying to fulfill the things that they like to see fulfilled. And a wife comes into a marriage thinking that he's just like me. And she's trying to do the things uh, to fulfill the marriage and wonders why he doesn't respond the same way. See, understanding the differences will go a long way in protecting your marriage. I read somewhere where it said that it's easier to get married than it is to stay married. I was reading on Facebook through the week. Facebook's very good to get uh, advice from. And uh, it said that marriage is like a deck of cards. To begin with, all you need is two hearts and a diamond. In the end, you wish you had a club and a spade. It's easier to get married than stay married. But when you stood before a celebrant, you stood before a pastor and you committed your life to a person in marriage, whether you realized it or not, you were committing yourself to an exclusive relationship. You're committing yourself to a man or a woman saying, for most of the needs that I have in my life, especially like these top five, I'm looking to you as the one to meet those needs. You're keeping them to yourself, as long as you both shall live. That's what you say in your marriage vows. Fourth thing is to guard your mind. See, people don't just fall into immorality. They say, you know, you're not a, a good person, a pure person, and, and uh, you know, there's no such thing really as a one-night stand. Before there was ever a one-night stand, there was a lot of thought life that was going on. And you may have looked like a good person, a moral, upright person, and and then you know, but you're not a good, moral, upright person one day, and then the next day you're not. And there's no such thing as that. And so, let me find my place again. And so, you need to guard your mind. There is a process. There's a series of things that of events that happen, and the temptation is before anything happens. Anything happens, it begins first of all as a thought uh, in in your mind. And so James chapter 1 and verse 13 says this, it says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. See? what you think about there comes a point in your life where eventually you will act out your thought life the bible is saying that there's a conception that takes place the temptation is a pool of somebody's own evil thoughts and desires and 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 eventually they that will lead to an action which will lead to death you become what you think about see this is how faith works isn't it When you think about faith, you're thinking about uh, good things, you're thinking about positive things, you're thinking about life-giving things, and and you find that uh, you're thinking about that and there comes some point where it drops from your mind into your heart. Conception takes place, and any mum knows that from the time of conception, if it's a healthy birth, you know, nine months later, something's going to come. It's the same with evil actions. You think about it. You you go over and over it in your mind. There comes a point of conception where it drops into your spirit. And at some point when the opportunity comes, it will give birth to sin. That is what the Bible is saying here. You can fill your mind with good and happy and loving and kind thoughts, or you can fill your mind with lustful, dirty, trashy, obscene thoughts, and that is the kind of person you'll become. You need to be serious about your mind you and god are the only ones that really know what you're thinking about and uh, nobody else will ever know and you're going to have to maybe make some decisions maybe you're going to have to limit some of the things that you watch some of the things that you do maybe some of the things you read some of the company maybe that you keep you're going to have to make some decisions maybe like joseph you need to run from it get out of it and disassociate yourself from those situations And if you're smart, you'll stop the battle right there in your head. And uh, if you don't, you find that it will lead to on a downwards spiral in your life. It's that little saying that you can't stop the birds from flying over your head, but you can stop them making a nest in it. And uh, you can't stop thoughts, thoughts come, thoughts go, but you can stop them making a nest in your mind. And uh, Because if you let them make a nest in your mind, Eventually, something's going to give birth there. Maybe if you're single here today, you need to use uh, your singleness your creativity and, uh, that you have in, uh, in, in serving God and creative ways of serving God uh, so, and serving other people uh, so that you can control that way. See, most affairs today, that it happens between close contacts, maybe a work colleague or maybe a family contact or whatever, Obviously, if we're dealing with people uh, in relationships on a daily basis, uh, close friendships are formed and sometimes it goes over the mark. Be really careful. You know, don't don't listen to someone else's of the opposite sex's marriage problems. They're telling you all the problems of their marriage and you're thinking, I would never treat you like that. You know, I would treat you much better than that. Maybe, maybe. But you know, if don't don't listen to it. You know, someone from the other uh, the other sex wants come and talk to you about all their problems and all their marriage problems and so on. Direct them towards the same sex counsel. You know, direct them somewhere else. You know, I don't want to even be involved in it. You know, it says here Ephesians chapter five verse fourteen. It says it says follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Then he goes on and he says this, But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any other kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse thinking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving the Apostle Paul saying there should not even be a hint. You know, be smart. Be smart in your relationships. You know, we, we have in our offices and, uh, you know, we have like glass in the doors. You know, if someone comes in to see us, we want to have other people walking by that they can look straight in. There so that we don't want people, you know, coming in and meeting behind closed doors or anything like that. You know, if you have to counsel someone, you're talking to somebody. Do it in a public place. You know, do it where other people can see. Be smart. Apostle Paul saying, not even a hint, he's saying there. Don't let it happen. Otherwise, you find that if you, you know, if you don't want to get stung, stay away from the bees. You know, not even a hint. Don't place yourself in situations where you know you're going to be tempted. Recognize the situations. Recognize the situations where, that you are weakened recognize the situations that, that maybe arouse you or turn you on, you know, you, 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 that, that, that uh, weaken your standards, that stimulate you. Be aware of it. And you have to put some guards around your life, put some guidelines around your life, set some standards around your life that you're going to live your life that is going to please God. Yeah. You're going to set standards, the standards that are written in His Word. You're not going to accept just all the standards of the world around you and say, well, everybody's doing it. It must be okay. No, it doesn't mean it's okay. You know, live a life that pleases God. One day you're going to have to stand before the Lord and give an account of your life. You know, I want to stand before God and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. Amen. Father, we just pray, oh God, Lord, help each of us. Lord, we're not strong, oh God, we're weak people. But Father, you are strong. And Father, we ask that you will come and strengthen us and Lord, put your love, put your arms around us. Lord, speak into our lives, oh God. Uh, Speak your direction into our life, Lord, that we will be a people that are holy and pleasing to you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.